Good morning, Mercy Culture. Isn't it a good morning in the house of the Lord? Well, my name is Kaylee. I'm one of the pastors at Mercy Culture Church. I know many of you are seeing me for the first time because I'm in Wake or I'm in Fort Worth. I'm in Waco today. I'm so excited to be in Waco, but I am mostly in Fort Worth, and I'm so excited to be with you this morning. Well, most of you already know what the vision of Mercy Culture Church is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. We have amazing corporate encounters together, but we know it doesn't end there, that the corporate encounter that we get to experience together, it pushes and drives us into the next encounter we get to have personally with the Lord. Um, I love that our vision has a personal encounter, that my encounter with the Lord looks different than your encounter with the Lord. And one of the ways that you can find out how you best connect with God is through MC Connect. How many of you have gone through MC Connect already? Have you guys been blessed by that? Well, if you're looking to become a member of Mercy Culture, MC Connect is your next step. But MC Connect is more than membership, it's discipleship. It's really awesome. It's all online. You watch a few videos to get to know more about Mercy Culture and what we're about. But the next part, really the heart of it, is this Connect with God assessment that gives you insight on how you best connect with God, that personal daily relationship that you get to have with Him every single day. So some of you may connect with God best by through movement and running and dancing and walking around. That's how you enter into his presence the best. Or you might need to be outside or in solitude or through conversation, remembrance. There's so many amazing things you get to discover and how you best connect with God. So if you're looking for that next step in getting connected to God and into this house, you can text CONNECT to 59090. We're excited for this morning. We're going to dive into expanding territory through culture. Are y'all ready? You guys know that we are in the prophetic year of expanding territory where we are praying 1 Chronicles 4.10. I'm going to read that and pray it over us as we start. Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, Oh, if that you would bless me indeed and enlarge or expand my territory, that your hand might be with me, that you would keep me from harm and evil so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. We're in the season in the year of expanding territory. And so this morning, we're actually having a little bit of a different service. We're having a panel. So I'm going to invite my friends up here. We have Ben Meckel, (laughs) Vanessa Hector, Pastor Matt Wakefield, and Danny Frischmith. All of these individuals are um, on staff at Mercy Culture, lead in Mercy Culture, um, but more than that, they serve this house. They have the heart posture to serve the Lord and pour into this house, and they uh, carry the culture of Mercy Culture. Pastor Les talked about last weekend about building the foundation of culture and that our culture at Mercy Culture is really from the Lord. And it's made up of four elements, our vision of going from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God, our values, which is what we're, how we act at our best, our unique characteristics of why did God ask us to plant a mercy culture church, and our leadership standards of who we empower. And today we're going to dive deep into our values of how we act at our best. Um, and so let's start. Let's start. There we go. Awesome. All right, so our values are how we act at our best. Our first value is health. And we say it like this, leaders go first. We remain healthy by prioritizing personal encounters with God, pursuing purity, putting family first, and protecting our Sabbath so that we could lead others in health. Ben, can you tell us about health? Yes, uh, health is one of those things that, I love how it says, it says we remain healthy by doing these things, but also it's the way we get healthy. So if there's an area of your life where you're not pursuing your daily encounter, you can't be healthy without daily encounter. You can't be healthy without pursuing purity. You can't be healthy without putting family first, and you can't be healthy without protecting your Sabbath. And so when we look at leaders go first, if you're in this room and you consider yourself a part of mercy culture, 
um, then you're a leader. You need to consider yourself a leader. And one of the things that, that God taught me early on is that you can only pass on what you possess yourself. And so I'm a sports guy. I love sports. Um, and in basketball, I can't pass the ball unless I have it. So if you don't have this, you can't actually pass it on and lead well. And so when, when it, we say leaders go first, we're, we're talking about is that when you're a part of this community, you're leading in this community, that means that you have to go first. You don't wait for somebody else to lean in and hold you accountable. You don't wait for somebody else to say, hey, you need to step up in this area. You don't wait for your spouse to start encouraging you. You don't wait for your kids to call you out. You go first and you lead yourself. And that's what leaders do. You want to be healthy, lead yourself first. And then when you lead yourself, you can lead your spouse, you can lead your kids, you can lead at work. But it means that we go first in these three areas, or four areas, um, one of our staff members, Fallon, she broke it down and she goes, man, I really divide it these four ways and I evaluate my health based off of these. So prioritizing daily encounters. Your daily encounter with the Lord starts the day before. If you're somebody that wakes up early and you need that you daily encounter with the Lord, it starts by going to bed early. You don't prioritize your daily encounter by going to bed at three in the morning. And so you have to prioritize your daily encounter the next day by setting that time up for success. You have to learn what's the best way that I actually encounter God. If you haven't taken that assessment, dive into that. It truly will transform your time with the Lord. And then when it comes to pursuing purity, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Many times we seek the kingdom, but we don't live like the kingdom. And so you have to seek the kingdom and pursue his righteousness, and then we step into it. That's what, that's what health looks like. Putting family first. This is one of those things where it doesn't matter who you are. You could be single in this room. You have a family. You have to put your family first. You have to put the things in your life that God decided. He could have made family however he wanted. He could have put us in tribes. He, he could have done anything. He decided family. And so because it was his best idea, we should make it our best idea. And we should protect it and pursue it and put it first. Lastly is protecting Sabbath. I didn't grow up in a community that protected the Sabbath. We didn't talk about the Sabbath. I didn't even realize how much I was dishonoring God by not setting a day aside to go after him, to rest, heal, and hear. And so you have to prepare to protect the Sabbath, and it changes your life. It adds life to you. It adds rest to you. It, it changes the rhythm of your life so that you're working from rest and not always tired working to rest. Can you say those four elements again real quick of how to assess... Uh, whether or not you're in health. Yeah, so we have uh, pursuing or prioritized personal daily encounter with God, pursuing purity, putting family first, and protecting our Sabbath. Something that I love about our values is they all take intentionality. All of our values, but especially this first one of health, that all of these words are prioritize, pursue, putting family first. Mercy Culture Waco, I want to tell you that this is a church that really models that out. So we have a unique character that we put people over ministry. So your, your spouse and your kids come before church because that is ministry. Um, and so, and even pursuing Sabbath and putting that first, um, there's so much health and healing that we are really going first because you can only pour out what has been poured into you. It takes intentionality. Um, and something else I want to mention about all of these values is that they are held accountable to everybody. It's not just for the pastors or senior lead pastors, not just for Pastor Les and Pastor Nikki. It is for all of you too. Um, and I love that our, our house is intentional about caring for us and hearing God and going first in that. All right, our next value is forgiveness. Pastor Matt. Yeah, forgiveness. This is how we say it. Uh, it's not optional. We exercise forgiveness at all costs by asking for God's forgiveness, forgiving ourselves, and forgiving others. We believe there's no spiritual growth without forgiveness. As I thought about this, um, 
the picture that came to my mind was Jesus hanging on the cross. We love it. We celebrate it. We're thankful because it imparted to us the life transformation that you and I all received. And it was not because you earned it or you worked hard for it, but because you believed simply what he said. That if you would receive me, if you would turn from your sin, you would receive his forgiveness, that you would be forgiven. Now, we, we love that. We celebrate that. But that same fact of simply believing what he's done is the same way that you step into forgiveness for your life. I think sometimes we know it's hard, it's difficult. You're like, but my wife has done this a thousand times. thought a few husbands would say, at least amen or something. Maybe you're practicing forgiveness, right? We're, we're keeping no record of wrongs. Uh, or husbands, or maybe someone that hurt you or did something wrong to you. But this is the reality. If we really believe in the power of what Jesus done on the cross, and all we have to do is simply believe it to receive it, that's the same thing we have to do to receive the forgiveness for our lives or to extend forgiveness. We have to simply do it by faith. Sometimes we don't feel the emotion of the moment of releasing forgiveness to somebody. So if the person's hurt you or harmed you multiple times, sometimes you don't feel the emotion. But this is the reality is faith is what leads your feelings. If you make a decision to forgive based upon what you feel, you will never forgive an individual. But if you choose to believe what Jesus has done for you and he's good enough and worthy of it, then you will choose. It says here it's, it's not an option. The other way I'd like to say it is it's all or nothing. Either you believe all of the gospel that he paid the full price for you and it's worthy of him laying his life down. Therefore, you should choose to give it to him. Jesus says it this way in, in the Lord's prayer. It says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And many times we settle there because we like the presence. But presence only manifest or stays or resides in your life to the level you're willing to forgive or release forgiveness. Yeah. Says that next part of the, the passage says, and forgive us our sins as we forgive others who harmed us. So I don't believe you and I can operate or live as a yielded Christian if we don't operate in the value of forgiveness. Yeah. Probably many of us have heard this, this statement or this way before. It's like this. If you choose to hold on to unforgiveness in your life, it's like drinking poison and thinking the other person's going to die. But you don't know what they did to me. They did it intentionally. What you're doing is this, is you're saying, I'm going to hold on to bitterness and the poison of unforgiveness, and it's going to ruin my life, but thinking somehow it's going to harm them. When we release forgiveness, you know what it does? It releases the blessing of heaven in your life as you choose to forgive by faith. So good. Y'all ready for our next value? I got nothing, yeah. Our next value is authenticity. It's how we act at our best when we're authentic. We say it this way, we don't do fake. We disciple through real relationships. We create an atmosphere for people to be open and honest by leading in vulnerability and transparency. Danny, tell us about it. All right. So I was thinking about authenticity, and um, there's a quote that Mark Snyder, he's on our worship team, he always tells me, he says, the presence of God draws us, but authentic relationship keeps us. And when revival breaks out and glory of the Lord comes, it draws people. The presence of God will draw people. But part of our, uh, like a, a crucial part of our individual growth in the Lord is authentic horizontal relationships between us and friends, us and our spouse, us and uh, just horizontally. A lot of times American church can only focus on a vertical relationship. Are we in right standing with the Lord? How can we get glow close? grow closer to him, but we sometimes forget about this horizontal relationship, and this horizontal relationship cannot happen unless we're actually being authentic um, and being real with one another. There's, when I was flushing this whole uh, value out in my, in my brain, I thought about how sometimes we can use authenticity as a crutch, where we say, 
oh, I'm just being authentic, and we're masking a bad behavior that, that we actually have. And the whole, if, and the, what the Lord was teaching me was that in authenticity, a facet of authenticity, almost, may I say, the other side of the coin, is humility. Like, if we don't have humility with authenticity, then we have this, like, fake transparency where we're not actually asking people to help the issues inside of us. We're just saying, oh, I have these issues and I'm fine. So real authentic relationship says, okay, I'm not doing well or whatever. Whatever the thing is, whatever's inside of you that you need help with. These things are in me. I'm being authentic with you. And the reason why I'm being authentic is I'm coming to you in humility so that you can point me back to Jesus, so that you can encourage me. And the outcome of this is a stronger relationship between you and me, but then also between me and my father. Like it's a, it's a double-edged thing. Um, and then one, one other thing I want to say is uh, authenticity breeds authenticity. Pastor Landon always says, if you're in a team meeting or something and you feel like uh, a performance or you feel this like uh, fakeness, um, you be authentic first. Yeah. So if you feel in your relationships where you, you're like, man, I feel like people are being fake with me, it, it's up to you to be authentic first. You can't demand someone to do it and you not do it yourself. So it's up to you to be real, honest, authentic. Yeah. yeah. I want to add one thing to that. Something that we see, and Pastor Lena does such a great job modeling this for us. He, he has this statement of putting it out in front of you. I think in most cultures, home cultures, church cultures, business cultures, cultures that we're in, environments that we're in, is we rather just, I, I, I got it, I'm going to deal with it myself, yeah. instead of making yourself uncomfortable and putting it out in front of you. So an example of that would be, hey, you know, today when I walked in the room, I didn't really feel like worshiping today, and I just want to tell you, tell my spouse or tell, tell a friend, I don't feel it because, you know, my mind's cluttered and my mind's going here. And what you're doing is the moment you choose to put it in front of you is the moment it can no longer have authority in your heart, in your yeah. mind, because you've confessed it. The Bible says confess your sin, or could we say the places that you need to be authentic one to another so you can be healed. Yeah. So you can deal with it internally, which is confessing to God. Yeah. And the Bible says you're forgiven, but healing comes when you actually expose it or put it in front of you. And then one more thing I just thought. So um, one of the principalities here is, the, is religion, spirit of religion. And what the Lord was telling me about authentic, being authentic is that when we are authentic with the Lord and with people, there's actually not even a foothold that the spirit of religion can have. Like there's nowhere for it to like put its foot down. So yeah, yeah. So good. All right, our next value is trust. We say it like this, lean into awkward. Has anybody heard that yet? We build the trust, character, and relationships of tomorrow by engaging in the tough conversations today. Vanessa. Hey, thank you. Um, so one of the things that the Lord highlighted to me about this value is that it's beautiful and it's effective when it comes through and with love. Um, like Pastor Kaylee asked, how many of you have had a lean into awkward or have been even approached and someone says, hey, can I lean into awkward with you? I've noticed a lot of the times that that causes anxiety or causes uh, discomfort, even because awkward is in, the, it is in the slogan there. But I felt like the Holy Spirit was highlighting that the fruit of this value is to, be, to build or to restore trust. So we, even though it, it might take an awkward conversation to get to that place, the fruit of this is not so that we have said, oh yes, I had an awkward conversation. Mark that off the list of my leadership growth, right? No. So the motivation and the intentions for this value is to, to build something, to restore something that has been broken, which is trust. And um, I wrote here that it should be, our motivation should be to gain our brother and our sister. And in uh, Mark 12, 29 through 31, it says, Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the, the Lord our God is the one and only God, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all of your strength. We know that, right? The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
No other commandment is greater than this. That word love in that scripture means embracing God's will, choosing his choices, and obeying them through his power. So have you guys ever heard that, um, it's kind of cheesy, but it says love is a verb, and they're like songs and things about it. Have you ever heard that? I felt like the Lord was saying that uh, trust, leaning into awkward, is active. It's loving. It takes effort. It takes you pursuing um, God's heart, but with his Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. And I wrote here, trust is built and restored by embracing God's will, choosing what he chooses, obeying him, and actively pursuing the person that you need to build with. So instead of just thinking lean into awkward, I felt like we're supposed to read this with lean into love, lean into your brother and sister with the heart posture of how God loves that person, not let me just give them a piece of my mind or let me just make this really awkward. No, let me restore with the love of the father. Let me go to my brother or my sister, say, hey, something was broken here. I feel God's heart here. Now let me, let's talk about it. Let's lean in here. Uh, I want to add on to that because I, I have grown in this value because I grew up in just dysfunction. <laughs> Anybody else? Um, and I uh, really these values are when we put them in front of us and we're intentional with them, we're constantly getting healing. Um, but this value of trust, I have always been one that when things get awkward, I lean out. And then there's division, there's lies of the enemy, that um, there's a fence that puts a filter on how I see God's son or God's daughter. And then there's another step of uh, if I don't have a conversation with that person, like Matthew 18 says, to go to your brother. Uh, if I go to somebody else and I, I put my offense on Danny about what somebody else did, now Danny sees that person with my offense on his filter. Uh, and it just breeds disunity. And what we know at Mercy Cultures, one of our leadership standards is unity, that we know the favor of God rests on unity. That says that in Psalm 133. And really when we build trust, when we build trust, character, and relationship of tomorrow by having those hard conversations and leaning into it, saying, hey, I feel this awkwardness, but I care about you too much to let it just slide. Um, is really what that value is. And on the other side, there's so much beauty and unity and God's in that. Yeah. I was just going to add one more thing to that, that when Pastor Matt was talking about forgiveness, I felt like that was super crucial to have that understanding, especially when you have to go into a conversation to lean into awkward. Ask yourself, have I forgiven first before you go into that conversation? It makes me think of all of the opportunities we have to just go in with this brokenness and this bitterness and be like, you did this to me. But if we went to God first and forgave and released them, then our hearts are pure and we're ready to go to our brother to build and restore and get that unity. Yeah. It's how you build trust. I was just going to add one thing to that that brought me a lot of, uh, I guess, freedom, but also equipped me, is Pastor Lena would say this. He says, have the 100% conversation. Don't, don't just say the thing that you know is going to get the good response. Go 100%. And it doesn't mean, the goal is not to be awkward. The goal is that I'm willing to do, I'm willing to get awkward in order for us to build trust. That's the goal. And so have the 100% conversation. Say all the things that you said in prayer to that other person. Say all the things to the person that you went to go get wisdom on the conversation beforehand. Say all the things. Go 100% in so that then you can walk away knowing that my heart is clear. Everything's good. We built trust. And there's nothing there still remaining that hasn't been communicated. Pastor Kaylee, can I lean in a little more? <laughs> did you see what I did there? I see what you did there. You see what I did there? That was your joke. Um, okay, so so I want to tell a quick story. Okay, so I own a company, a construction company as well. And um, there was one time we were in a meeting, and me and another guy, we were not seeing eye to eye at all. And like I was like, but the Lord said, and he was like, but God said, and we were just not. And so we 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 ended the meeting, we left, and I went home, and we recorded the meeting on a phone, and I was like. I'm going to go to that recording and I'm going to pick out all the things that he said that were wrong. And I was building a case. I was like, and tomorrow we're going to go in hard. And I was like, I'm going to lean into awkward. That's what I was, that's what I was going to do. And so I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm like pulling out my phone. I'm going to the voice memo and I was about to hit play. And I fear the Holy Spirit say no. And I'm like, what? And so I'm like, okay, Lord, should I listen to this? And then he gave me this vision. 
he gave me this vision of, I had a, I had a gun, and I had a magazine, uh, you know, where you load the ammo into the magazine, and, and I was loading ammo, but each piece of ammo that I was loading didn't have a bullet on it at all, and I was loading blanks into the, into the magazine, and he said, you can listen to this voice memo if you want more blanks. In my mind, I thought, tomorrow I'm going to go and I'm going to blast this guy away with all the things he said that was wrong. And in reality, God was like, Everything, the case that you're building is, is dumb. You need to go in humility and you need to go with the intent of building unity. That's the whole intent is to build unity. It's not to make a case for yourself and go to court. It's to actually find unity. And so that's what we did the next day and it was beautiful. So, yeah. So good. All right, our next value is communication. We say it like this, downshift. We choose to slow down and communicate clearly today so that we can move forward faster tomorrow. Ben, tell us about it. Downshift, it is one of my favorite values um, because it, it forces us to recognize that we, the majority of our arguments come from miscommunication and every spouse said amen. And so... If, if, we, if we would recognize that the majority of time miscommunications come because we don't take the initiative to go get the information that we need. Communication is our responsibility. And so with downshift, downshift is when you're driving a manual, which most people don't anymore, but it means that you're, you're taking and you're going from fourth gear and you're going into third gear so that you can actually climb the hill so that you can, you can begin to go faster and it, it means that I'm shifting gears. There's action being taken so that you and I can slow down in this moment to get all the information that we need so that we can run faster tomorrow. Now, sometimes people love just standing in neutral and all they want to do is talk. All they want to do is just gain information. All they want to, but what about this? But what about this? But what about this idea? And the purpose of communication is to slow down today so that we can actually go faster tomorrow, not so that we can stay slow and just talk a lot. So there, we can't be stuck in neutral. We, 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 there is a purpose behind downshifting. It is to speed up tomorrow. The problem is, is that many times we want to slow down today to tell you what you need to do so that we can go faster and we leave the other person behind. It only is true communication when both people are moving forward faster the next day. So you need to make sure that everybody knows what they need to know, when they need to know it, and how they need to know it. Which means that when you're going to downshift, you need to seek to understand first before seeking to be understood. Because what it does is it causes you to start the conversation from a place of humility that says, you might actually know something I don't. Then as you're slowing down and they begin to talk and share, if you were right, great. They just confirmed you were right. But if you were wrong, now nobody else knows you were wrong. <laughs> now you can go, great, and you can move forward. <laughs> and nobody knows you're an idiot. It's awesome. <laughs> So when we slow down and actually seek to understand with humility and we downshift and we seek to understand, we, we say, we're going to look at you at heaven's value. You have something to offer. What do we need to do? We're slowing down today with the purpose of moving faster tomorrow. That is the goal. And so when, when you downshift, it's very simple. A lot of times it's informational it's, hey, just check in your heart real quick. Can we downshift real quick? I want to make sure we're on the same page. There's this beautiful story in Genesis 11. It's the Tower of Babel. And in the Tower of Babel, my, it's fine. In the Tower of Babel, it says that they were one people with one language. And it said God came down and said that there was nothing that they could not accomplish because they were one people with one language. When we downshift, it allows us to speak the same language and accomplish the one goal. And so when we don't downshift, we're saying different things, but trying to accomplish the same goal, and it's frustrating. When I started at Mercy Culture, I would use the term connect. Hey, can we connect? Hey, can we talk? Hey, let's just connect real quick. Well, if, if you're trying to connect, some people think it's a lean-in, some people think it's a downshift. 
they don't know exactly what it is. They don't know if they're getting fired, promoted, hired. Like, they don't know. They're just like, I'm not, what is connect? What, what, wh- why are we getting together? If I say, hey, I need to lean in with you, what does that do? It automatically communicates the purpose of us getting together is to build trust. If I say, hey, can we downshift? It means that there is this communication gap that I'm getting together with you to close it. So when we use the same language, when we get together to get on the same page, it allows us to run further, faster, on the same page, together, and then we can actually fulfill the vision that God has for us. Practically, I want to add to the downshift is if you ever feel confusion or if you have a question, those are flags that you need to downshift. Um, And so if you're ever in a meeting, you're like, I have this question, but I don't want to say it say it. It's our value. And you guys are leading through our values of communication. Our next value is generosity. We say no strings attached. We don't give to get. We give our time, treasure, and talents from a heart of love with pure motives. Pastor Matt. Yeah, so good. Uh, Just before I go into this value, I just felt this to encourage encourage this thought in the room. Uh, I guess it would be a lean into awkward is there's people in the room and you're asking, why are we doing that this in this space right now this morning? When God wanted to release blessing in the earth, you know what he did first? He created an Eden, an environment. What we're doing is we're creating or helping people understand the culture and the environment that God is trying to build. So presence, which is sustainable and transformative, can flow into mercy culture as well as flow out of mercy culture. So I want to encourage you that this is super important that we all capture this culture so we can build an environment that God wants to inhabit as well as God wants to release glory through. Amen? So generosity. Generosity, I believe, is this. Um, How many want to see revival in the city of Waco? Can I just tell you this? I believe one of the number one keys to sustainable moves of God is generosity. The reason why I say this is this, is because revival is not, uh, revival is systematic. If you study anything of Leonard Ravenhill, he talks about uh, seasons of revival. And he talks about it, this idea that revival starts with seeds planted and then water that comes from heaven. It's our job to plant the seed, but it's God's job to release the rains of heaven. Now, if you're going to see revival, outpouring the move of the Holy Spirit in your life in a sustainable way, you know how it happens? It happens through acts of generosity. Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed. You know that he actually first just did good and then healing flowed from it? When you choose to have a generous heart, a generous mind, you know what happens? Is miracle signs and wonders flow through your life. I wrote down this thought here about generosity is the Bible says in, uh, I believe it's in Psalm 32, I think it is, uh, a generous man devises generous things. That means this, that the key to a solution-oriented life and becoming a problem solver for the world's issues and needs is being a generous person. If you think with a generous mindset, God will give you solutions for the world's problems and the world's ills. We want to be a salu- we want we want solutions for the issues and the conditions and the problems of Waco. You know where it starts? Just, just be generous with whatever you have. Jesus says it this way in the very beginning. He talks about what repentance looks like. He says, if you have two tunics and you see a person who has doesn't have one, you give it away. You see a person who actually has, has a lack of something, then what do you do? You give it away. And he said, Jesus, when he comes to the very beginning, he begins to lay out the Beatitudes. He says, this is the key for sustainable revival, or this is a key for a lifestyle of what it looks like to repent, turn from your ways, and actually live out a kingdom lifestyle. I believe generosity is one of the greatest keys that uh, will allow for sustainable move of God through your life and through my life. So good. We're going to say so good after everyone. So good. So good. So good. Our next value is excellence. We say give your all. We represent the Lord by doing the best we can with what we have. Danny, share with us. 
So when they asked me to be part of the panel, I was like, okay, Lord, I'll do it under two circumstances or two conditions. One, you don't give me excellence and you, and you don't give me stewardship and I have both. Oh so, <laughs> so here I am. What, what are you going to say, Ben? Come on. It's just what happens when you tell God, I won't do this. <laughs> I don't want to pastor in Fort Worth. Exactly. It's awesome. Anyway, you know. the Lord needed to teach me some things. So here we go. I'll teach you what he taught me. Okay. So in conference, do you remember um, when Pastor Ryan was up there and she, she heard the Lord say, play keys and sing. And play keys the way that you play when you're alone with me. This is God talking to Pastor Ryan. And Pastor Ryan was like, but I'm going to hit bad notes. When I play to you, I hit bad notes. And the Lord responded to her and said, I know it's not perfection, but it's pure. And, and a lot of times this, this value of excellence can somehow be perverted into perfection. And that's not what this is about. Literally, if you boil down, let me say this about all these values. We do not need to overcomplicate these values. They're actually very simple. And when you feel yourself overcomplicating them, you're probably turning them into a set of rules and religions coming on you. So let me, that's just a little thing. Do not overcomplicate these values. So excellence, when you boil it down, this is what the Lord told me. Excellence is simple. It's a heart posture to please the king. That's literally it. It's, it's us saying, Lord, whatever's in front of me, I want to please you. And pleasing you means doing the best I can, being obsessed with pleasing the Lord with what's in front of me. Um, if it, Here's a little example. So like if, if President Biden was going to come to your house, this is a crazy example because I don't, you know, I really agree with what he says, but I honor who he is as president. So even if he was coming to my house, the authority that he's in as president, I'm going to vacuum twice. I'm going to put things in order. You know what I mean? I'm just going to make sure that my house is in order because in excellence, I want to please the authority that's coming to my house. How much more would we do that for Jesus when we, in a worship service, when we're like, uh, the Lord is in the room. The King has entered the room. How much more do we want to give Him our best? How much more do we want to please the King's heart? Um, in Second Corinthians, it says that the glory of the Lord is is in Jesus's face. So when He walks in the room, when you feel glory, it's because Jesus is here. And if He's here, then we want to give Him our best. So boil down excellence. What is it? Giving the King our best, wanting to please the heart of our King. Yeah. Can I just add one thing real quick? I think one of the most beautiful things about the value of excellence is, is it, it kills competition. Yeah, it's good. Because the best I can do is different than the best that somebody else can do. Yes. And so um, we have people that dance on stage. The best they can do is very different than the best I can do. <laughs> excellence looks different. So and so therefore, good. because of that, it kills competition. It kills competition. My kids come home, and my kids are different when it comes to their academic standards. Yeah. There's some kids where it comes easy, and if they're not getting A's, they're being lazy. There's other kids that they're fighting to get C's right now in science. Yeah. Excellence looks different. So good. And so, therefore, when we step into a place where excellence is the best you can with what you have, yeah. you have something different than somebody so else does. Good, and so it frees us from competition. Yes. And it actually allows us to celebrate others going, you actually have something different than I. And I want, you, I want to celebrate you because we're not in competition. Your excellence looks different in this area. And mine looks different in this area. So when we hold excellence in that area and it's not a performance, it allows the body of Christ to celebrate and not to compete. That segues us perfectly because our next value is celebration. celebration. Come on. I didn't even know that. We say it like this. Put it on the board. Yeah. If you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. We make time to celebrate the little wins that create a big victory. Vanessa. Yes. Okay. Celebration is a weapon. Okay. Keep that in your mind as I continue to teach you on celebration. Celebration also produces soft hearts. In Proverbs 12:25, it says, worry weighs a person down, an encouraging word cheers a person up. 
something that I learned about celebration a couple of months ago is that um, celebration or, or having fun is, it, it requires a correct perspective of what the Lord is doing. Think about um, your, your ministry, your job, your family. For, it to be, for us to be able to say, if you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong, that word fun requires a perspective of what God is doing. Okay, so I just have a couple of bullet points here, and I'm just going to read them off to you. But this, this perspective of celebration is a supernatural lens that we all need to have. Celebration is like a prescription that everybody has. It's the same one, but not everybody wears it. Um, like, think of that. Think of the kid in your life or when you were little and you had to wear glasses, prescription glasses, and you lost them or you broke your glasses over and over again. That reveals your immaturity, right? That reveals the immaturity in the child to not be able to put and wear his, hers or her glasses. For us to not be able to look through the supernatural perspective and lens of what the Lord is doing reveals immaturity in us spiritually but also emotionally. Um, because you can't see things rightly when you don't wear those glasses. I have some glasses and I forgot to bring them and they say celebration on them. It's hilarious. I was going to have all of us put them on after, but next time. Um, but when you can see and acknowledge the cel and celebrate the fruit of what the Lord is doing, that's when things become fun and become easy. It's not focusing on, okay, how do I make this fun? How do I make everyone jump around? How do I make this? That I, no, we're not pleasing man. We're pleasing the Lord. So when we focus and look at what the Lord is doing, then we're able to produce fun from this value, which is incredible. Um, what was once heavy and burdensome becomes light because you begin to assign heaven's value to whatever is going on. Put something that you're stewarding at the end of that. If it's burdensome or if it's heavy. If you ask the Lord, what do you think about it and what are you doing through it? That, it gets eliminated immediately. So get in the habit of asking the Lord, what is your value to this thing, to this person? Um, this glorifies the Lord and also breaks the chains of frustration and worry. I, f I feel like I can say this, that probably everyone in this room is a part of a team, right? Some sort. Maybe Mercy Culture Waco, maybe not. If there is frustration or worry in your team, ask yourself, am I celebrating what God is doing in this area? One of the, one, I don't think we're talking about feedback today, are we? Or are we? Oh, we are. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. So before we go into feedback, take time to celebrate. Because it says in scripture that it produces soft hearts. Worry weighs somebody down, but encouragement lightens the load. That's so good. <laughs> Let's go into feedback and then we'll go to empowerment next. Uh, feedback, we say here, here. We believe healthy feedback is a two-way street. We welcome opportunities to hear what is in your heart, and we commit to clarifying what is in ours. So good. So good. So good. Yeah. We just say that. That's what we're going to say about so the whole good. day. So, so good. good. <laughs> this is what I wrote down when I was thinking about feedback is leaders look for and desire feedback. So if you're not looking for feedback, so you're doing something at your job, you're a young person, you're picking weeds at your house, you know, whatever it is, and you're not looking for the feedback of how did I do or how can I prove in this, you've not moved to the place of thinking like a leader. You're still thinking like a person who is just trying to get by in life. The other thing I wrote down here is without feedback, we stay stagnant. I believe feedback, what it does is it opens our eyes up to a perspective that may be, on, be beyond our personal perspective or where our current leadership capacity is. The reality is this. Every one of us are growing to be more and more like Jesus, and there's people that are around us that are more mature or are 
stronger in that specific area or place of life. And if we're looking for feedback, what we're saying is I value who you are in this space. I value this gift in your life or I value the strength that you have in this area of your life. And I want you to speak into it because I want to mature or grow in this area. Uh, One thing I want to highlight, I think my wife has mentioned before, uh, Vanessa mentioned it before, is sometimes we think feedback is just criticism or areas of improvement. But true healthy feedback also celebrates the places that people are doing amazing and are strong. And if we don't have that component, what happens is we will become self-analytical and self-critical and we'll live a life that's constantly condemning ourselves instead of actually seeing the places that we're growing. For instance, if you went today and you were working out in the gym, today was your first day in the gym, how many today would be your first day in the gym in a long time? That, that, that would be me. Um, so you go and you work out in the gym and you're like, wow, bam, I did it, I killed it. And then tomorrow you think that somehow you're going to be more strong and more fit because you worked out one time. You're missing it. But this is what happens is without healthy feedback, we actually don't know where we've grown and improved and we don't know where we should grow and improve. It's like having a coach or a spotter that says, hey, you're doing this incorrect. This is how you can tweak this as well as, man, it's amazing. Last time we worked out, you could lift this, but you can lift this now. So feedback actually helps you grow and mature and see those blind spots. Feedback feeds you. Can I add something to that? Quickly. I just felt like as you were sharing that there were going to be people in this room that are going to receive healing from the, from the pure understanding of what feedback is. But I felt specifically it was through submission to the Lord. And when you receive that revelation of what it means that there's safety and covering when you submit to the Lord, feedback coming from spiritual leaders or people that you love and that loves Jesus, it's like health. And it's like they're watering a plant and you begin to bloom and grow. So I just want to submit that to whoever in the room feels like feedback is always that criticism or there's this like... um, self-doubt that comes or like insecurity that comes when you receive feedback the Lord wants to heal those areas when you begin you just submit fully to him and to the people that he placed in your life to speak into you so good (laughs) our next value is empowerment we say our heart your mind We empower those with our hearts to lead with their mind. We trade empowerment for teachability and humility. Ben. Um, I felt this tug, just to say this real quick. One of the greatest things you can do with culture, um, these values, is we use it, my wife and I use this to parent our kids. And what it does is it creates a common language with our kids where they understand what we're talking about in a specific area. These values literally tell a leader what to do in any circumstance. So if you're like, oh, what should I do? Look through the, lead, look through the values and figure out which values would apply to this situation. Uh, my seven-year-old walked in the other day today, or the other day, and said, hey, dad, I need to downshift with you. Now, some people could be like, man, they just say it all the words. But you know what? My seven-year-old knows what downshift means, and it means now that we have a common language that allows us to get through her emotions, her whatever attitude that she has, and it fast-tracked her to be able to have a conversation with her dad. We get to have, hey, I need to lean in with you. My girls, after the volleyball game, they say, dad, can we have some feedback on the game? When you take this and you bring it into your home, it literally equips your kids to lead without them even knowing that they're leading. And so this isn't just for inside the church. It's also for inside your home. And it forces you to be a better parent because now you're raising the standard of what your life should look like. And your kids, it's one of the hardest things when your kids hold you accountable. Dad, that doesn't look generous. Okay, okay. (laughs) But it's amazing because it raises the standard for everybody involved. So empowerment, our heart, your mind. Um, I love this value because what it does is it makes us look like Jesus. You think about Jesus, he had the greatest message that will ever be told on the entire planet and he left it in the hands of a bunch of rugrats that had already proved that they couldn't steward it. And yet he empowered them because they had his heart And they just had to figure out their mind. 
it forces our values that in this area, it means as a church, there's people in the room that are smarter than us. And the goal is that when we get on the same heart, we actually value the gift of God on your mind and we want to empower you. The, the problem is, is that we have to just make sure that we're in the same heart. If we empower gifting, then you could have a worship leader that has an angelic voice, but an absolute unrighteous life. And it's all about them. And then unfortunately, the gift, they don't, they don't have the, the character and it becomes something that actually is a, a burden, not a blessing. And so empowerment is one of those things that say, hey, when we're on the same page in heart, it opens the door for opportunities to actually empower and release your mind to do things in a way that we never could ourselves. And so just by functioning in empowerment, it pulls up the entire body of Christ. It's that Ephesians 4. It's that we do the work of the ministry, empowering the saints to do the work of the ministry. But if it comes down to that initial part of you have to have the heart, and then when we have the heart, we get to empower the mind behind it to actually run and accomplish all that God has. And we need everybody to do this. If we're going to take Waco, it's not going to be, you know, 10 people and a staff doing it. Taking Waco is going to require an army of people with one heart, one language, and empowering your mind to go and run. But the beautiful part of empowerment means that beforehand, when I say go, you need to expect that there's going to be feedback. Empowerment requires feedback because it's teachability and humility. So when you step into an area to serve, you're saying ahead of time, I'm exchanging empowerment and I'm signing up ahead of time for feedback. I'm signing up and I'm saying beforehand, I will be teachable and I will walk in humility. And so when we do that, it allows us to give feedback and it allows them to grow. And then the great thing is, is that feedback's a two-way street. So then you get to communicate to the leaders, hey, this would have helped me be successful because it's a two-way street. And so empowerment allows the entire body to rise up and to step out in all that God has called them to. Everybody say it. So good. So good. All right, we have two Amazing. more values left. Stewardship. We say the third option. We manage heaven's resources for the Father's business. The heart's cry of a good steward is, it will never be mine. It will always be yours. When given the choice between an ownership or an employment mentality, we choose the third option, stewardship. Okay. So, um... Praying into stewardship, I realized again that the word stewardship really annoyed me, and it was from past, just like, yeah, whatever, and it was from past experience, yeah, I'm being authentic, from past experiences, from, from past churches, past leadership, and, and the idea behind stewardship was steward, 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 multiply, 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 and they never taught why. It was just, we do this because we need to grow in numbers. You grow in your financial, personal financials so that you could give more to the church. Like, there, I was like, always like, well, what is actually the heart behind stewardship? And if you boil it down, and if you can tell, I'm a simple folk, so I'm always boiling things down. <laughs> when you boil it down, it comes down to everything that we have in our hands belongs to the Lord. And the only way that we can actually steward it the way that he wants us to steward it is to hear his voice. That's literally it. We can't, like in our minds, two plus two equals four. But in God's kingdom, it could be two plus two equals 17 because his favor's on it. But you need to hear his voice as to what steps to take, how to steward things. That includes stewarding your children. That includes stewarding your business, stewarding the teams that you're on at church or, or whatever work you're in. Like it goes well beyond just growing a, a beautiful church and multiplying uh, people. It goes to God, how do you want to grow this? How do you want to actually do it? And, and what I love about stewardship that I'm learning is that it takes the pressure off. Like when, the, when you know it's the Lord's, everything in front of you is the Lord's. Everything he's given you is from him. When you know it's from him and you know his heart is to grow it, then it's up to him to do it. 
And all you have to do is lean in and say, Lord, how do I do this? How do I steward it? And he might say two plus two equals 17 because he put his favor on it. Yeah. Our last one is honor. We're governed by honor. Honor reflects heaven's value. Honor protects freedom, creates safe places, and reflects a kingdom identity. Honor is about self-control, not control. Yes. I love the music in the background. makes this so holy because he's in the room. First uh, John 4.20 says, If one says they honor God but doesn't honor their brother, they are a liar. If someone says, I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? If we cannot properly honor God's children, how can we say that we honor the Lord truly? Ask the Lord how to honor the people that are in your life. If you ask for his heart, you unlock their kingdom identity and you can receive from them what the Lord has put inside of them to release. And who you do not honor, you cannot receive the gifts the Lord has put there and you also disqualify yourself from, from receiving from the Lord. I felt specifically that double honor was highlighted to me as I was studying for this. And the only place in the Bible that it mentions double honor is 1 Timothy 5.17. And it says, elders who lead effectively are worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. That word, that word honor in this scripture means what has value in the eyes of the beholder, which is you. You are the beholder. There is a value that you get to assign to people when you ask the Lord, when you have his perspective of what that is. And the pastors here that, that lead you, that pour into, the leaders here that lead you and pour into you, there is a double honor that they receive from the Lord. And I feel like even for, for us here in this room, for myself as I was learning it, I, I, need a, I need a better understanding from heaven of what that looks like to how to honor somebody. Um, a, a leader, an elder, a teacher. And um, I felt like one of the tools for you guys is that book, Honor's Reward by John, by John Bevere. If you have not yet re read that, read that, read it. Um, but read it over and over and over again. I opened it again last night and I was kind of like, oof, John Bevere is a little prideful. And I was like, oh my gosh, I am because he's talking about how people serve him and honor him. But that's how God created it to be. And that revealed in me, like, oh, I need to learn and understand how to serve my pastors, how to honor those that are leading in front of me. Because when you do that, it unlocks and releases the gifts, the resources, and the blessings that God has put in that person to give to you. And it honors the Lord. Yes. Which makes room for him to come. I want to say um, all of these values don't work unless we walk in our vision of having a corporate encounter that leads us into daily personal encounters. You heard over and over and over again about the importance of hearing the Lord. And that comes from daily meeting with him, that there is a fresh word, a fresh bread, um, a fresh thing that he wants to release over you as his son or as his daughter. And so, uh, the remaining of this service, Pastor Les uh, had a vision of us doing some prophetic ministry. And so we're going to enter into some prophetic ministry. Um, and if, can, I, can I start with a, a, a scripture and then I'm gonna hand it off to Pastor Matt. And then we're just gonna flow and, and the Lord is here. The Lord led me to 2 Chronicles 5. Pastor Les mentioned that he keeps seeing uh, the glory of the Lord fill this tent. And we sang about it this morning that the glory of the Lord is sweeping in this room. And I, the Lord highlighted something to me. He's, it's in verse 13 and 14. He said, it says this, it was the duty of the trumpeters and the singers to make themselves heard in unison in unison. 
in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with the trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, they said this, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Everyone is in this room, would you just begin to pray in the spirit? We're not prophesying in tongues. We are praying in our heavenly language. We're building up ourselves. Jesus, I thank you that MC Waco will be a house of unity. That when unity is raised up over the city of Waco, your glory will usher in. God, I thank you that your banner is that you are good. That your steadfast love endures forever. So I was praying for you, MC Waco. I saw a vision as we're entering into unity and the glory of the Lord filling this tent, I had this vision of doors, of gates that many of you are trying to walk through. I saw you were trying to walk through these doors with your head, but only your heart would fit. You try to understand, you try to comprehend, you try to make it make sense. But the Lord says, no, I want your heart to come in first and your head will follow. For the glory of the Lord to come, the Lord, I feel like the Lord is saying that your heart must go in first. And that's by loving him. So we just say every religious spirit go, Holy Spirit come. Jesus, we just want you. Even with the promises of your glory, Lord, we don't want the glory to get in the way where we just watch you. So God, I thank you for healing in the room right now that we're gonna enter into gates through our heart, that we're gonna have encounters that are not gonna make sense.